His personality is evil. His personality is wicked. And even though he's like that, the scripture says that many times Satan, our enemy, seeks to hide as an angel of light. Preaching the old time gospel. With a fresh anointing to to a new generation. This is Saved to the Uttermost with evangelist Brian Tyndall. When you're in a battle, you need to know who your enemy is. It's the same in a spiritual battle. We have an enemy, and sometimes he looks like a friend. Today, Brian continues a series of messages on spiritual warfare, putting on the full armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Specifically today, we'll be looking at our spiritual enemy. So grab your Bible and turn to Ephesians 6 for a message entitled, Our Spiritual Enemy. Here's Brian. Today, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be reading verses 10 through 17, and I'm going to be continuing in our study, Spiritual Warfare, Putting on the Whole Armor of God. And the first thing I want us to do is read the passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We began this study on spiritual warfare, putting on the whole armor of God, by looking at how we become a soldier in God's army. And what we discovered is, is that there's only one way to get into the army of God. There's only one way to become a soldier of Jesus Christ, and that is to voluntarily give our lives to Christ by repenting of our sins and putting our faith in Jesus Christ and by saying, I want to be a child of God. I want to be a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we looked at what kind of soldiers could people be if indeed I have given my life to Christ, if I am a soldier in the army of God, what kind of soldier am I? And we talked about four different types of soldiers. Some soldiers are spies. They, uh, they're just Christians in name only. They, they name the name of Jesus and they would say all the right things and they know the religious language and maybe they're even members of the church. But the truth is they've never been born again. They've never been saved. And ultimately, they're spies in the army of God. They're not real soldiers of Jesus Christ. Then some people are AWOL, just like people are in the military today. They're absent without leave. They truly are in the army of God. They truly have been saved. At some point in the past, they truly have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ, and they have been born again. But now... They're absent without leave. They're no longer serving God like they ought to. They're no longer following Christ and being faithful to Him and His teachings like they ought to be. And we might say that they're AWOL, they're absent without leave. 
We also talked about some soldiers are wounded, uh, and there are many ways you can be wounded. You can be wounded by the spiritual enemy, the devil. Uh, you can be wounded uh, by people that are under the influence of the devil. We also talked about how we could be wounded by friendly fire. We could be wounded by other Christians, either intentionally or non-intentionally. And then we talked about how sometimes we can even wound ourselves uh, by living in sin, by making wrong decisions, by disobeying God, by walking outside of his will for our life. And we talked about that it wasn't necessarily a sin to be wounded, but it was certainly a sin to stay wounded because not only is Jesus Christ our Savior, but the Bible says he is a great and divine physician that can heal us. And he not only can heal us spiritually, he can heal us of any wounds that we have. So we should not stay wounded as a soldier of Jesus Christ. And then we talked about the type of soldier that all of us ought to be. We ought to be trained and ready. We ought to be spiritually strong. We ought to be spiritually disciplined. We ought to be growing spiritually and maturing spiritually into the people that Christ has created us to be in order that we might be able to serve God here in this world, in order that we might be able to stand against our spiritual enemy, the devil, in order that we might be able to be victorious in the spiritual battles that we face. And then we look specifically at this passage of Scripture in Ephesians and what it teaches uh, soldiers of Jesus Christ about how they can be better soldiers. This passage teaches us not only about becoming a soldier of Christ, but how we can be better soldiers. And we looked at three things specifically that are mentioned in this passage. Number one, that we can be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, realizing that this is a spiritual battle and that it's not going to be won uh, with earthly, physical, human strength, but it's going to be won with the strength of God. So we need to put on spiritual strength. We need to put on the Lord and be strong in the power of his might. Number two, that we need to put on the whole armor of God recognizing that just like when a soldier joins the army, he's given a uniform, he's given equipment, and he needs to use that uniform. He needs to use the equipment and the tools that he's been given in order to be an effective soldier. And in the same way, when we became a Christian, when we became a child of God, when we were born again into the family of God and joined the army of God, God gave us a spiritual armor, a spiritual outfit that we need to put on. And it's described here in this passage, we need to put on the whole armor of God. And then finally, we see that the scripture teaches us that we need to stand firm. And we talked about in the world in which we live today, people were not standing for anything. They not only were not standing for God, they were not standing for their family. They were not standing for morality, for ethics. They were not standing for the word of God. We were not standing for the right things in the world that we were, people were allowing their emotions and circumstances to dictate their life so that one day they're up and the next day they're down. One day they're doing the right thing and the next day they're doing the wrong thing. One day they may be obedient to God and walking in his will for their life, but then the next day, because of emotions or circumstances that are going on around them, they're doing the wrong thing and going in the wrong direction. And we talked about how several times in this passage of Scripture that as a child of God, as a soldier of Jesus Christ, that we are called and commanded over and over again in these few verses to stand and to stand strong and to stand firm against our enemy. And today what we're going to do is we're going to begin to look at our actual enemy because 
There's no way that I can be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There's no way you can be a good soldier of Jesus Christ if you don't understand who your enemy is. And so what we want to do today is we want to look at what this passage has to teach us about our spiritual enemy. And actually, it's very specific. The Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so he very specifically names our spiritual enemy. He very specifically tells us as believers and those of us in the army of God and those of us that are a part of being the soldiers of Jesus Christ, he specifically tells us who we are at war with, who we are in this spiritual battle against, and it's the devil. Now, many times in the world when people think of the devil, I'm afraid they don't think of the devil in a biblical way. Many times I think when people hear about the devil or Satan, they immediately go to this cartoon figure that maybe they've seen in their childhood or or maybe at Halloween, a devil costume, and they immediately think of somebody dressed in red with horns and a pitchfork, and they get a cartoon character or a caricature in their mind, and that's what they think of when they think of the devil. But what I want us to look at today is I want us to look at this real enemy that's named, and I want us to realize that there's a reason that we're in a spiritual war, and there's a reason why we need to be putting on the whole armor of God, and there's a reason why we need to be taking our spiritual enemy seriously, because the Bible tells us much about this devil, much about Satan, much about this enemy that we're fighting against. And he's not a cartoon figure, and he's not uh, just a made-up figure. He's someone that's very real. He really exists. He's a real enemy. He has real power, and he is really working every day in the world, in people's lives, to try to do serious harm to everyone that he possibly can. And the first thing I want us to see today is we look a little bit further in verse 12, He tells us not only is our enemy the devil, but he specifically says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I think the reason Paul mentions this, that our battle, that our war, that our spiritual conflict is not with flesh and blood, is because it is so tempting in the world that you and I live in to get our focus on the flesh, to get our focus on people, to get our focus on, you know, the ones that are around us that maybe, you know, this person made me mad, this person did this to me, this person upset me, this person talked about me, this person hurt me. And all of a sudden, the conflicts that we're having in our life, the conflicts that we're having in our relationships, in our marriage, or whatever it may be, they're with people. And if we're not careful we can begin to fight the wrong battle and we can begin to fight the wrong enemy, not realizing that we have begun to fight flesh and blood when we're not at war with flesh and blood. We begin to see people as our enemies 
when indeed the Bible says that people are not our enemies, that we do have an enemy, but it's not our spouse, it's not our mother or father, it's not our neighbor, it's not our coworker, it's not the person down the road that did something to me, but we do have a real enemy and his name is the devil. And we need to allow the word of God to speak truth into our life so that we're not fighting the wrong battles and so that we don't see people as our enemies rather than recognizing the one true enemy that we have. In the Bible, we learn about who our enemy is, and he's the devil. But where did the devil come from? And some people say, well, you know, God made everything. God must have made the devil. Well, I don't believe that the Bible does teach that God made the devil. For one thing, the Bible says that God is holy, that God is perfect, and that he cannot sin. And if God indeed made the devil, as it were, the enemy that we have today, then God would be the author or the creator of evil. Well, God cannot be the author or the creator of evil, the ultimate evil, Satan himself, because God is holy. God is perfect, and he not only cannot do evil, he certainly is not the creator of evil. And so you say, well, well, then if there is evil in the world today, and if Satan is the father of that evil, if he is ultimately the head of this spiritual evil in the world, where did he come from? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible mentions it in several different places, but I want us to look, first of all, in Ezekiel uh, chapter 28, beginning in verse 14. And the scripture says, you were an anointed cherub or angel who covers I established you, God says. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity or sin was found in you. And so in this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to read a few more verses from Ezekiel chapter 28. We're not going to read them all. What he's talking about there, he's talking about an angel that he created, that God created, that was in heaven, and he created that angel uh, with perfection, without sin. And then this angel ended up sinning. He ended up rebelling against God. And we'll continue to read that in verse 17 of Ezekiel 28. It says, your heart, God says, was lifted up because of your beauty. So this angel began to sin. And the sin that this angel had was pride. He looked at his beauty. He looked at his perfection. He looked at his power. He looked at the the great qualities that he had as a created angel of God. And he began to boast in his own beauty. And God tells him, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth. In the sight of all who saw you, all who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. In this passage of Scripture, he's telling us about a great angel, and maybe even an archangel that he created. And this angel was perfect in all of his ways. God did not create evil. He created perfection. But as this angel began to carry out his service of worshiping and serving God in heaven, he 
began to be prideful. He looked at his self. He looked at his own beauty, his own qualities, and he began to be lifted up, and he sinned. And God says, I have judged you. I have punished you because of your sin. And we read a little bit more about this in Isaiah chapter 14. And again, I'm not going to read all the verses, but I want you to get a little bit of this out of the Old Testament. In Isaiah 14, 12, God says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. So this angel that God had created, that had this power and beauty, that sinned against God, that rebelled against God in his pride, his name was Lucifer. And he says, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. And so we know that the devil was originally an angel, and that angel's name was Lucifer. And Lucifer was a very powerful angel. He was a very beautiful angel. He had many wonderful qualities. The Bible says he was perfect in all of his ways. And yet he saw his beauty. He saw all of these attributes that he had, and he began to be lifted up in himself, and he decided that he himself wanted to be exalted, that he didn't want to exalt and worship God, but that he himself wanted to be exalted, that he wanted to be in the position of the Most High God. He literally wanted to be God. He wanted to be the one that was being worshipped and not the one that was giving the worship. And as a result of that angel's sin, God punished him. And one of his punishments is he was removed from heaven. And it is that fallen angel, Lucifer, that became what we know today as Satan or the devil. And he is an arch enemy of God. Of course, he's mad at God for his punishment. He's mad that he was not able to be in the position of God, that he was not able to be worshiped like God, that he was not able to be God. And so in his pride and in his sinful fallen condition, he has become the arch enemy of God. And thus, not only is he the enemy of God, but he is the enemy of the people of God and of the children of God. His entire being and purpose is to wage spiritual war against God and his most cherished creation, which is humankind. And so today we need to understand that we are in a spiritual conflict. We are in a spiritual battle. And this spiritual battle is not with flesh and blood. It's not with the people around us that aggravate us on a daily basis that so often we get into conflicts with and, and, and have broken relationships with. We need to realize that the Bible says we are, our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is not people. Our enemy is a spiritual enemy and the battle that we face is a spiritual battle and it is with a real enemy. And today, very quickly, I want us to look at several aspects of our enemy because I personally don't believe that we're going to be able to be victorious or that we're going to be able to be overcomers in this spiritual battle on a daily basis until we know more about our enemy and how he operates. In fact, in the military, in the branches of the military today, uh, most of the time, 
uh, the soldiers are not at war. Most of the time, they are not on the battlefield. They actually spend a very small percentage of their time actually engaged in fighting the enemy. But they're in the military, and they're working daily. What are they doing? Well, one of the things they're doing is they're training. What we talked about, about being a better soldier for Jesus Christ, they're training, they're working, they're exercising, they're they're learning, they're growing physically, emotionally, in every way to become better soldiers. And that's what we need to be doing spiritually. We need to be reading the Word of God. We need to be going to church. We need to be fellowshipping with other believers We need to be carrying out the spiritual disciplines that are talked about in the Bible so that we can become stronger spiritually, emotionally, and physically, and be the type of soldier that can be used in this spiritual army. But at the same time, we need to be learning about our enemy. We need to be understanding how our enemy operates and how it is that he comes against us. Because if we understand our enemy and we understand how he works and how he attacks us, then we're going to be able to develop better strategies about how to resist him, about how to stand against what he's doing in our life. So the first thing I want us to see today is not only Satan's past and where it is that he came from, but I want us to see Satan's personality. And Satan has a very bad, a very wicked personality that's brought out in Scripture. The Bible teaches that Satan is the most bitter enemy of God, and thus he's the most bitter enemy of God's people. And if you are a child of God, he is your most bitter enemy, whether you recognize him or not, and whether you are standing against him or not, it does not matter. He's there. You know, if I told you today, and if I could tell you with all certainty that there were some terrorists outside of your house or somewhere waiting down the road, if you're driving down the road, if I could tell you with certainty that there were some physical terrorists out there and they were set up and they had guns and they had bombs and they were going to kill you and they were going to attack you, if you really believe that were true, if you really believe that there was a physical enemy out there that had real weapons and that was really seeking to kill you and your family, I guarantee it would change the way that you live. It would change the way that you go through your day. It would change the way you carry out your life because you would be realizing, hey, you know, I need to live. I need to look after my family. We need to go to school. We need to go to work. We need to do these things. But there is a real enemy out there that's set up and that's seeking to hurt us. And if we really believe that, it would change the way that we live our lives. Well, the reality is, thank the Lord, there's not a real terrorist enemy for most of us this outside or down the road that's waiting to destroy us. But there is an enemy, and he is more real than any enemy that can be faced on any battlefield in the world today. He is a spiritual enemy. And the Bible says that he's not only real and that he not only has great power, but that he's looking to kill, steal, and destroy us that he's roaming to and fro across the whole earth like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And while we do not need to live in fear, because as children of God, God has overcome the world, he's overcome sin, he's overcome death, he's overcome the devil. And because he lives inside of us, if we indeed are children of God, then we can have victory over him too. But we do need to take him seriously. And we do need to realize that just because we're children of God and just because we're going to ultimately win the war 
and one day we're going to go to heaven, that there are many spiritual battles that we're going to face in our life on a daily, weekly, and yearly basis, and that it is very possible that even though we're children of God, and even though we're saved, and even though we're going to go to heaven when we die, that we're ultimately going to win the spiritual war, that it's very possible for us to lose spiritual battles on a daily basis. And I see Christians doing that all the time. They're Christians. They're saved but they're living defeated Christian lives. They're living below the privilege that they have as children of God, and they're living defeated. They're living backslidden. They're living without a fire and enthusiasm for the things of Christ. And it ought not to be that way. We ought to be winning. We ought to be living victoriously in this Christian life and in this Christian battle that we're facing. And the way that we do that is by understanding our enemy. So we see not only Satan's past, but we see Satan's personality. What is his personality? Well, Scripture reveals Satan's personality through the names which it gives to identify him. For example, in Matthew 4, 3, Satan, or the devil, is called a tempter. In John eight forty four, 44, uh, Jesus said that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. Uh, in the same verse, Jesus said that Satan was a liar and the father of lies. In 1 John 5, 19, we're told that the devil is an evil one. In Revelation 12, 9, we're told that he's a deceiver. And in Revelation 12, we're also told that he is an accuser of the brethren. And so as I begin to look at these names which Scripture gives to Satan, to the devil, a tempter, a murderer, a liar, evil, deceiver, accuser, I begin to see his personality. His personality is evil. His personality is wicked. His personality is sinful. And what we need to realize is, is that even though he's like that, and even though that is his real personality and who he really is, the scripture says that many times Satan, our enemy, seeks to hide his true personality and even portrays himself oftentimes, according to 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, as an angel of light. And so here this one is, this one with a personality to be a tempter and murderer and liar and evil and accuser and deceiver. He doesn't show himself like that. In other words, your enemy, the devil, very often he doesn't show himself for who he is. He's not going to come at you every time looking like this evil, wicked person. He's not going to come at you looking like this horrible creature that you can easily identify and easily understand. This is my enemy. This is what he's doing. This is what he's trying to do in my life. Often what he does is he comes, according to Scripture, as an angel of light. He comes as one that would look like something good. He comes as a person that would look like something good. He comes offering us something that looks like something that we would want to receive and that looks like something that wouldn't be harmful for our life. He disguises himself. He disguises his weapons. He disguises those things that he would use to destroy our lives. And how many of us have been deceived by that enemy? I know I have. How many of us have been deceived in this spiritual battle by getting involved with things or getting involved with people or going in a certain direction 
uh, or making decisions. And at the moment, it didn't look like we were doing the wrong thing. At the moment, it didn't look like something that was going to be harmful to us. At the moment, it didn't look like something that was going to be destructive in my life. Only later to be revealed as I got into it that it was something my enemy was using in a destructive way. But he had hidden his personality. He had hidden his agenda. And because I was not actively growing spiritually, because I was not actively engaged in the spiritual battle, because I was not at the point that I needed to be spiritually in my life alert and reading the Word of God and following in God's will for my life, it allowed the enemy to be able to deceive me. And many people out there know what I'm talking about. Many of us have had those times in our life. But the Bible not only tells us about Satan's past and about his personality, but it tells us about his position. You know, that what was it the devil wanted to do according to Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah chapter 14? According to those scriptures, the angel Lucifer that had been created as a servant and worshiper of God had come to the point where he wanted to be the one that was exalted. He wanted to be the one that was lifted up. He wanted to be the one that was on the throne of God. He was the one that wanted to be like God and be God. Well, God threw him out. God punished him. He removed him from heaven because of his sin. But just because Satan was removed from heaven, just because he was punished by God, that doesn't mean that he is not still seeking a position of power. That doesn't mean that he still is not looking to be worshipped. That doesn't mean that he's still not looking to be on a throne with others serving him and worshipping him. And in fact, the Bible tells us in Scripture that Satan is a prince, uh, it tells us that a couple of times in John chapter 12, 31, the Bible says that Satan is the prince of this world. And in Ephesians 2, 2, it says that he's the prince of the power of the air. Now, this word prince is a royal type of title. It, it denotes a position of authority. And that's what Satan was wanting. He was wanting to be on the throne of God. He was wanting to be God. He was wanting to be exalted like God and worshiped like God and served like God. Well, God is not going to have anybody before him, and he's not going to have anybody beside of him. Uh, and so he was punished. He was removed from heaven. And yet Satan, in this fallen world that you and I live in, he's still looking to be in that position of authority. He's still looking to be set up on his own throne. He's still looking for human beings that would worship him and serve him rather than worshiping and serving the one true God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He truly has set up in this world his own kingdom, and he has elevated himself on his own throne, and he has proclaimed himself to be prince of this world, and he has worked in people's lives in such a way that they would be deceived not to worship the one true God, not to give their life to the one true God, not to humble themselves before the one true God, not to serve the one true God, but they would serve and worship him as the prince of this world. The Bible also says not only that Satan is a prince, but it says he is a ruler. 
uh, in Ephesians 6, 12, in this very passage that we've been studying here, it says that he is a ruler of the darkness of this world. And so Satan is a ruler. He does have power. And as a prince of this world and as a ruler in this world, he has people that have given their allegiance to him. He has people that are serving him. He has people that are worshiping him. Now, some of those people don't even realize that they're worshiping him. Some of those people don't even realize that they're serving him. But what you have to understand today is there is a spiritual battle going on in the world. And there is only two sides to the spiritual battle. It's the side of Jesus Christ. It's the side of truth. It's the side of the gospel. It's the side of the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. And then it's the side of the devil. It's the side of sin. It's the side of everything that rejects the plan of God, the word of God, the will of God. There are only two sides in this spiritual battle. There are only two leaders in this spiritual battle. One is Jesus Christ, and one is our enemy, the devil. And today, every single person in this world, I, you, every person listening to me today, every one of us are serving one of those two spiritual leaders. And what I'm telling you today, if you have not given your life intentionally and specifically to the Lord Jesus Christ, if there has not been a time in your life where you confessed your sin and asked forgiveness of your sin and repented and turned away from your sin and put your faith in Christ and in Christ alone to be Savior and Lord of your life, if you've never done that, then you are not a servant of Jesus Christ. You are not a child of God and you are not on the right side of the spiritual battle. And if you've never done that, whether you realize it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you admit it or not, if you are not serving and worshiping Jesus Christ, then the only alternative that there is, is that you're serving and worshiping the one that is your enemy, which is the devil. And in fact, what did he want to do? What did Lucifer, this angel that was created by God, the one that we know today as the devil or Satan, what did he ultimately want? The scripture tells us there in Ezekiel and in Isaiah chapter 14 that he wanted to be like the most high God. And indeed, uh, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 that he has become the God of this age or of this world. And so he is not the God of all gods. This is God with a small g. There is only one true God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is only one true God. He's the God of creation. He's the God of the Christian Bible. He's the God that created the world. He's the God that created us. He's the God that sustains everything that is. He's the God that causes our heart to beat. He's the God that allows us to take another breath. He's the God that we're going to stand before one day in judgment when we die physically. My friends, there is only one true God, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he is King of kings and Lord of lords. But there are other gods, other false gods, other self-proclaimed gods, and that's what Satan is. And he has become a god of this age, a god in this fallen, sinful world that we live in. Satan's original desire was to be set up like God, and now he is an imposter that has set himself up 
in this fallen world as a false god. And so today, in this spiritual struggle that we're in, in the world that you and I live, there's the one true God, Jesus Christ, and there's this false god, Satan. And those two gods, the real God and this imposter god, are at war with one another. And there's a spiritual battle going on, and we need to choose sides in the spiritual struggle. If we've not intentionally chosen the side of Jesus Christ, then we are by default already choosing the side of this false God. Now, why would somebody do that? Why would anybody in the world intentionally or unintentionally choose to follow and worship and serve a false fallen God, uh, an imposter God, rather than the one true God? Well, because this false God has real power. We're told that even in the passage of Scripture that we read in Ephesians chapter 6, he has real power. We're fighting, we're wrestling, not against flesh and blood, but we are fighting. We are battling. If we're not battling flesh and blood, what are we battling? Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. You see the scripture specific there. It says we're not fighting, we're not battling against flesh and blood, but there is something real that we are battling and fighting against. And what we're fighting against is Satan and he does have real power. In fact, in Scripture, we're told that Satan has the power to destroy. We're told that he has the power to bind. We're told that he has the power of darkness, that he has the power of the air, that he even has the power of death. Imagine, the Bible does not try to lessen the power of this false god, the power of this enemy of God. But it, it very vividly says and tells us that Satan has real power, and he uses that power in the spiritual battle, in the spiritual struggle that you and I are in. He uses that power to influence men and women, boys and girls, to follow him and to serve him and to worship him and to keep them from following and serving and worshiping the one true God. Imagine when the Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion. The lion is one of the strongest animals in the animal kingdom. We recognize him as the king of the jungle, if you will. We recognize him as having great power to attack and kill other animals. And the Bible uses that imagery, speaking of our enemy, the devil, saying, Satan, our enemy in this spiritual battle is like a roaring lion going to and fro across the whole earth. And why is he roaming back and forth across the whole earth, seeking whom he may devour? And my friends, the sad reality is this, that enemy that's roaming across the whole earth seeking whom he may devour. He is devouring people. He's devouring people that were created by God, that God loves, that he died for on the cross. He's devouring people that could be saved. He's devouring people that could be worshiping the one true God. He's devouring people uh, he's devouring marriages. He's devouring our children and our grandchildren. He's devouring our country. He's devouring morality and ethics. 
He's seeking to destroy and hurt and do anything and everything that he can to make a negative difference in the world that you and I live. And I want you to hear me today. Every person who has ignored or is ignoring or who has underestimated or who is underestimating this spiritual enemy has paid with their lives and their eternal souls. The last thing you and I want to do today is to underestimate the spiritual battle that we're in. The last thing that we want to do today is underestimate the spiritual enemy that we face. Now, we don't want to make him out to be more powerful than what he is. He's not more powerful than God. And we do not want to create a situation where we see the devil under every rock, as it were. But we do need to recognize that there is a real spiritual battle going on in the world. And we do need to recognize that we have a real spiritual enemy that's wanting to destroy our lives. And he has real power. And we need to be ready to resist that enemy. And then finally, we need to see Satan's purpose because our enemy does have a very specific purpose. Uh, we're told about that purpose in John chapter 10 and verse 10 when it says the thief or the devil or Satan has come for to kill, steal, and destroy. You know, that's why our enemy has come. He's come for three very specific purposes He's come to kill, he's come to steal, and he's come to destroy. Let's think about those purposes just for a moment, individually. It says that our enemy has come to steal. Satan wants to steal the very throne of God. That was the original thing that he wanted to steal. God was on his throne, and Satan, or this angel that was Lucifer, he allowed pride and sin to enter his heart, and he saw God on his throne, and he said, I want to be on that throne. I want to be like God. I want to be in the place of God. I want to steal as it was the very position and throne of God. But he also wants to steal the hearts of God's creation. If he's not able to steal God's position, then he wants to steal the hearts of those that are God's children or that are his creation. Our enemy also wants to steal our joy. Even for those of us that are saved, even for those of us that are born again, and, and if we died today, we would go to heaven because we've been forgiven by Jesus Christ and we have a relationship with Christ and we've been born into the family of God. Even those of us that are saved, we still can be attacked by this enemy and he still can steal things in our life. He can steal the joy of our salvation. He can steal our relationships. He can steal our marriages. He can steal our family. He can steal our finances. He can steal our peace of mind. And in many Christians' lives, that's what he's doing. Satan is winning the spiritual battles on a daily basis. Maybe he's not going to win the spiritual war. Maybe you're saved. Maybe you're going to go to heaven when you die. But you're not living victoriously today because the devil is being allowed to steal in your life. And it, he also kills. How does he kill? Satan, who did not hesitate to seek to murder Jesus Christ himself. Do you remember the New Testament says that after uh, Jesus uh, was baptized, that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, and Satan came to Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh. Jesus, that 
is the Savior of the world, King of kings and Lord of lords. Satan did not hesitate to come to Jesus Christ himself and seek to kill him. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan was there seeking to make sure that Jesus never lived again. He wanted Jesus to die, and he wanted him to stay dead for all eternity. And it was only through rising from the dead on the third day that Jesus proved that he had the power over Satan and that he had the victory over Satan. But let me tell you, it's not just Jesus that Satan wants to kill. He wants to kill every human being on the face of this earth. And imagine how many people he's killing, how many people he's killing through murder, how many people he's killing through the dictators of of countries, how many people he's killed through wars that were not just, how many people he's killed uh, by the millions through abortion. There are many ways that millions and tens of millions of people are being killed by Satan. He wants us to die physically, but most importantly, he wants us to die spiritually. You see, Satan doesn't just want to kill your physical body. He doesn't just want to put you in the ground. He doesn't just want to stop your heart from beating. Satan has an ultimate agenda, and his ultimate agenda is not to kill us physically, but to kill us spiritually. And that means that when we die, that we would die and we would be separated from God, that we would die in our sins and that we would be punished in hell forever. My friends, that's how he wants to kill you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy not only your, not only your physical life, not only your physical health, not only your finances, not only your marriage, not only your children, not only the country that we live in. He wants to kill all of that. But most importantly, he wants to kill you spiritually. He wants you to die and go to hell and be separated from God for eternity. But my friends, the good news. The good news is that it's even contained in that same verse that tells us the purpose of Satan in John 10, 10, when it says, our enemy, the thief, the devil has come, but to kill, steal, and destroy. In that same verse, it says, Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You see, this enemy, he's all about death. He's all about killing. But Jesus Christ is about life. Jesus Christ is about you having a victorious life on this earth, and he's about you having an eternal life in heaven. And here's the choice that we have to make today. And Jesus put this choice even before his people in the Old Testament. He said, I set before you today life and death. You choose. You see, God has always given his people the choice. He's always put the choice of life and death before his creation, and he's always given us the free will to choose whichever we want. And my friends, just like he put that choice between people in the Old Testament, he's still putting that choice before people today. Every person listening to the sound of my voice today, God is setting before you life and death. And he's saying, you choose. Life is in my son, Jesus Christ. Victorious life, Life where you can be an overcomer on this earth, where you can live a victorious life, have a victorious marriage, rear victorious children, have a victorious career. You can live victoriously here on this earth. And then he says you can have the ultimate victory. You can have victory over death. You can have eternal life. You can have victory forever in heaven. But my friends, if you don't choose that, then the only other thing to choose is the death and the destruction that comes from the enemy. 
He wants to steal. He wants to kill. But the Bible says that his purpose is also to destroy. Satan wants to destroy God, of course, but he's not going to be able to do that. He's been working for hundreds, even thousands of years to try to destroy God and God's plans and God's purposes, but he's not able to do that. And since he can't destroy God himself, he wants to destroy the next best thing. He wants to destroy God's crowning creation, mankind. Satan wants to destroy marriages, and he's doing that. Around 50% of them end in divorce. He's wanting to destroy families, and he's doing that. How many examples you know, just out of the people you know, uh, that their families are being destroyed, children are being destroyed, lives are being destroyed. Every single thing that God has ordained and instituted, uh, whether it be human life, whether it be the family, marriage, whether it be the church, everything, government, everything that God has ordained, everything that God has instituted, Satan is interested in destroying. And as we look around at our country today, as we look around at families today, at at our world, at governments, as we look in any aspect of life, we see that the things that God has ordained, the things that God has instituted, Satan is working feverishly to destroy. It's interesting in the Ephesians chapter 6 uh, passage in verse 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles can mean strategy, stand against the strategy, stand against the plans of the devil. And in this case, it's war plans. We're to stand against the spiritual war plans of our enemy, the devil. Satan has a detailed plan to accomplish his evil purposes. We are told five times in Ephesians 6 verses 11 through 12 to stand against our enemy, the devil, to stand against Satan and the fulfillment of his purposes. My friends, I hope you realize today that there is a real spiritual battle going on in the world. And there's days that we don't acknowledge that. There's days that we don't recognize that. There's days that we don't see that. But my friends, whether we see it or recognize it or acknowledge it or not, it doesn't change the reality that every single day, there is a spiritual war, a spiritual battle going on in our lives, in our world, and it's going on, and it's between the Lord Jesus Christ and his enemy, our enemy, the devil. And my friends, the difference there, the difference in that battle is going to be life and death. It's going to be whether you have a victorious life on this earth or whether you have a defeated life on this earth. And ultimately, it's going to be the difference between whether you have eternal life in heaven or eternal death in hell. And my friends, today, there needs to be a choice. There needs to be a time in our life where we not only recognize the spiritual battle that we're in, and we recognize the ones that are leading these spiritual armies, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's leading the army of God, and the devil who's leading 
an evil army against God. And my friends, we need to recognize and we need to say, I want to make a choice. I want to make a choice. I want to be in the army of God. I want to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. I want to make sure that I'm on the right side of the spiritual battle that's going on in the world. I want to choose life. I want to have a victorious life on this earth, and I want to have an eternal life in heaven. And I know that the only way I can do that is by making a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, would you turn to him today? Would you turn your back on the enemy of God? Would you turn your back on your enemy, Satan? And would you say, I've had enough of your death. I've had enough of your destruction. I've had enough of you killing in my life and in my marriage and in my family and in the world. I've had enough of everything that you stand for and everything that you're trying to do. And today, I'm turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. And from this day forward, I'm going to be his child. I'm going to be a soldier in the army of God. And I'm going to be a part of the body of Christ. And I'm going to make sure that I'm on the right side of this spiritual battle. My friends, I pray that you would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're determined to start a new life with Jesus Christ, Our teacher, Brian Tyndall, has a special offer for you. Just keep listening for details. You're listening to Save to the Uttermost from Uttermost Evangelism. Today's message was the conclusion of Our Spiritual Enemy, part of a series of messages on spiritual warfare, putting on the full armor of God. If you'd like to listen to the message again or download a copy to pass on to a friend, you can do so free of charge at our website, uttermostevangelism.org. That's uttermostevangelism.org. While you're there, listen to Brian's other sermons in the archives. That's uttermostevangelism.org. Now to that special offer I mentioned. To help you understand what it means to follow Jesus, Brian has written an easy-to-read booklet entitled Salvation, Man's Greatest Need, God's Greatest Gift. And we want you to have a copy free. In the book, Brian examines the five aspects of salvation— why all people need to be saved, how God has made our salvation possible, why anyone can be saved, what salvation really is, and how we receive God's gift of salvation. You can download a copy of Salvation, Man's Greatest Need, God's Greatest Gift, when you visit our website, uttermostevangelism.org. If you don't have internet access, we can send a hard copy to you. Just write Uttermost Evangelism, P.O. Box 7, Pontotoc, Mississippi, 38863. That's P.O. Box 7, Pontotoc, P-O-N-T-O-T-O-C, Pontotoc, Mississippi, 38863. Or you can call us. Our phone number is 662-372-1912. That's 662-372-1912. We look forward to hearing from you. Brian Tyndall is the founder and president of Uttermost Evangelism and a full-time missionary evangelist. Uttermost Evangelism and the Save to the Uttermost program are made possible by people just like you. Your support helps further kingdom growth. You can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting our website, uttermostevangelism.org, or you can write a check and send it to Uttermost Evangelism, P.O. Box 7, Pontotoc, Mississippi, 
888-253-3863. Thanks for your prayers and financial support. Well, that's all for today. Join us again next time. And remember, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those that come to God through him. God bless. Save to the Uttermost is provided by Uttermost Evangelism, Pontotoc, Mississippi.